wanted to mention a few things that I left out of our talk. One of them is, as far as accountability goes, um, if you have a, an electronical, if that's a word, an electronic device, a tablet, a computer, if you do not have accountability software on it, you, you are, you're in trouble because it's just an, it's just an open hole to hell. So um, we use Covenant Eyes in, in our church, and if the church has the account, they can add anyone for $2 a month. You can spend $24 a year on accountability, and it, it, basically the way it works is if, if you register any sites that are considered highly mature, which could be a news site that has some pervert of the day on the front page or whatever, but that will be sent to that accountability partner and it'll say, needs review. It doesn't mean that a crisis came about, but um, Covenant Eyes, put it on every phone, every device. It's $2 for unlimited devices, $2 a month. And so I have it on my phone, I have it on my tablets, I have it on, um, I've got several computers. And it tells my wife not only um, if there have been any incidents, and uh, usually mine says review, maybe once in a while it'll say that, just because there's a word on there that is questionable. And she'll see, oh, it's NBC News, so okay, no big deal. But um, yes. The baby blog will show up as... Yeah, there you go. Definitely that, when I browse that, it's, it's flagged as highly, highly mature. HM. So, um, but what it'll also do is it'll tell you how much time you're spending on each of your apps. And it'll have how much time you're spending on the internet and when you were surfing the internet. And it'll, it'll give that in every report. And not only can you uh, have it for you, but if your children have any devices, you are the, a fool if you do not have their devices um, equipped with accountability software. And one other caveat is on an iPhone, you have to turn off the um, ability to download other software and you have to turn off Safari. I think they might have changed yeah, it now. Did they just change it? I thought it just came out yesterday that you can, okay, so that you may not have to do that anymore, but you used to have to turn that off. So on my phone, I give this to my wife five years ago and she, she put in the restrictions passcode I still haven't been able to download anything for five years because um, she forgot the code. <laughs> but I don't care. It shows me that I don't need anything, but I do need Jesus. So um, one, that's one thing. The other thing is we, we've put together a, um, a devotional commentary for families and uh, for children, too, uh, through the Song of Solomon. And uh, I forget the brother who is a scholar in the classics. Josh. Josh. Um, so... He would appreciate this because there's a lot of different um, quotes, say, from Theodoret of Cyrus in 393. Um, so we, we <laughs> no idea. Uh, great, great uh, commentator, Ambrose. But we, we take the early church fathers, not the allegorical 
interpretation, but the typological interpretation. And uh, all the way to the reformers, even to modern uh, uh, commentators. And basically, it goes through the Song of Solomon, both practically and devotionally. So like uh, chap- uh, so- the first chapter is, what should, what should attract you to a potential mate? And that's verse by verse of what she saw in Solomon and what he saw in her. And then, when are you ready to marry? And it talks a lot about that. And, and what does courtship look like? And there's visibility and accountability and purity. And, you know, you have the, her telling the daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir up love until it's time. And so um, I've read the first um, three chapters of Song of Solomon to, to, my, to my children. Um, after that, it's more, you need, maybe wait till they're a, bit, a little bit older. But um, even then, the, the Song of Solomon should be approached in a very discreet way. And that's how it, it is written. It's, it's written in, in poetry for a reason. And so this is good to draw you closer to each other as a married couple to give you insight. And if you um, want it, I'll put a link to the PDF of it on, on the ClearNote site so you can um, look at it. But if you want to uh, buy a copy, I'll, 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 I'll put a link there to a discounted rate so you can get it at a discounted rate. Um, but we recommend this for our, our young couples. It gives them much wisdom. And one of the biggest things about this is that you'll see how Solomon treats a woman. How Solomon treats a woman and how a woman responds to a godly husband. So it's a very good example, not only typologically of Christ in the church, but also for your marriage practically. Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. Don't go checking it out. Don't click on it. It's better just to go to that person and say, hey, yep. something came up and I, I want to ask you. To yeah. Thank you for saying that because there are links to everything, uh, but you have to be very careful. Yeah, I agree with that wholeheartedly. Thank you. Any questions about that? What's that? Oh, thank you. There we go. All right. Um, Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much for the power of the gospel. We thank you for regeneration and the power of the new birth. Thank you that everything that you want us to be has already been given to us as a gift of you through Jesus Christ and that our union with Christ makes all change possible. Lord, there are thousands of areas in which we need to change. We're naming three of them at this retreat, but there are many things that are hidden in our lives that we are blinded to and we don't even know that we need to change. Would you, in the days to come, take your word and these principles that we've learned And search us and try us. Know our hearts, know our ways. See if there be any wicked way in us and lead us in the way everlasting. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. 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 So turn over to the book of James, chapter 3. When I was first married, I thought I was quite far along in my Christian growth. I was just like, Jill is so lucky to be married to a guy who's so on fire for Jesus. 
and I'm so lucky, and I use the word luck in a providential way, but, um, you know, all things work after the counsel of his own will, but still, you know, I felt so blessed that I was getting into a Christian marriage, and I definitely was not going to have a marriage like my parents or like my grandparents, and they just tore each other apart because of irritations and anger. And I had some anger problems as a younger person, but I, I had felt the peace and the gentleness and the self-control of the Holy Spirit, and, and, and I was living and walking in that. And I really had no problem when I would go home at night as a single man, because I always agreed with myself. It was a really good situation. You know, I, I never had to have an argument with myself as to where I would go for dinner or, or, you know, my calendar, my schedule was exactly the way I wanted it. And, and I never had any problems, you know? So I was just tickled pink that I was going to get married to a, a Christian girl and, you know, there would be harmony and, 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 and fidelity and we would live happily ever after. So we got married. And in almost immediately, I realized that Jill has preferences and differences and opinions that are different from mine. And not only that, she has a personality, very task-oriented, truth kind of a person, like blunt, that I didn't realize that she had. But I woke up next to her every morning. And, you know, she not only had pigtails, she had opinions. And I found myself writhing in anger. And we would have these disagreements. And at first it was, oh, I just can't sleep. I'm so upset, I can't sleep. But then it would, it would bubble over into words and disagreements and do you know I won every argument in our home I was so proud of myself but you know when you win you don't win does everybody know that you might win but you have not won because I found out I was living with a monster and that monster was me and I was a James 3 and four, kind of a person. Uh, James was written uh, to the church, um, scattered abroad, but by the, by the um, pastor at the church of Jerusalem, Jesus, likely Jesus' half-brother. And um, James chapter 3 says, Who is wise, this is verse 13, who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the what? The gentleness or the meekness of wisdom. You think this is the ESV. Um, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual and demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. 
But the wisdom that is from above is first pure, and then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you get the gist of what James is saying, these are people who knew the word. And just because you know the word and can quote the word does not mean that you have heavenly wisdom. So when I got married, I thought the pressure that I could push into this marriage, I, I called it zeal, but what it really was was pushiness. And the fruit of that showed that it was not wisdom that was from above, but it was anger from below. And, and because I could share with my wife 50 reasons why I'm right from the Bible, I thought that I was in the right. I thought that was manly leadership, but it wasn't, it was leadership, but it wasn't leading in the right direction. It was leading us to hell because what came from it was confusion and every vile practice. I had wisdom, but it wasn't from above. It was from below. And you know, if, if, if my wife didn't agree with me, I'd just tell her to submit, you know? And if you know what I mean, you should never do that in that spirit to your wife. Um, just to lord over her and, and really to have an anger problem. And, and the anger grew because uh, we would disagree and I'm kind of a, a zealous personality and I found out that my wife, as I got angry, she didn't come into the marriage that way, but she learned from me how to be angry. And this, this whole scenario would play out from time to time, not all the time, but from time to time, enough to have an effect on our marriage. And, and James goes on to say what, in verse 1 of chapter 4, what causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. So he calls conflict murder. And, and, and notice as well how he describes this kind of mentality in verse 15 as something that does not come from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. It's, it's earthly, it's sense-oriented, and it's from hell. And so I want to talk about um, human anger and how the Bible describes it. Now, anger is not always sinful, but it's, it's very often sinful. Look over at Ephesians chapter 4 briefly, and we're going to spend some time really in Ephesians 4 in, in just a moment. But in verse 26, he says, be angry and what? Do not sin. Okay. So sometimes um, because we know anger can be good, right? Anger can give you a zeal to be courageous. Okay. But don't trust your heart is what I'm trying to say, okay? Anger 
can be very good. And I think that if you don't have anger as a Christian, you're probably not a Christian. You have to have anger. Anger is an attribute of God. Anger is good. But the vast majority of our anger is sinful. The vast majority of what just pops into our head, not what is principally put there through the Word of God, but what just pops into our head, the passions of our sinful bent, is depraved and foolish. Solomon said in Proverbs 29, 11, a fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. The wise man filled with the Holy Spirit has the fruit of the Spirit, which is self-control. Anger can be very good, but godly anger is always under the Spirit's control. It always has a productive outcome. As James says, it's easy to listen to. You can be angry and kind. You can be angry and self-controlled and gentle in, in, in any situation and, and, and be effective. Human anger is common to mankind. All of us have anger. But since the fall, our anger has been twisted and turned away from the glory of God to the glory of man. Often what we get angry about is uh, unmet expectations. And let me put it in plain English. In anger, we often de-God God. We want to be the controller of all things. We want to have our wives, our church, our, our coworkers, our team at work, they better follow my instructions or else. And that's a de-godding of God. And so um, as Christians, we need to see that much of our human anger is sinful. And there are physical effects of anger. When you get angry, the muscles in your face and chest, and maybe your fists clench, right? Something happens in your stomach. It begins to churn. The sympathetic nervous system fires up. Often what precedes war and, and warriors begins to boil in you. And that could be a good thing. But it, if, if it is used to defend my honor and my glory, and I turn it on my wife or I turn it on my kids, then I'm using a powerful, powerful weapon that God has given me for his glory, and, I'm, and I'm, I'm using it on my family or I'm using it on my church or I'm using it on my, at my work. I had a, a friend who came to know Jesus, and he is the is a foreman at a major construction company in Chicago. And his job was literally to get angry with people on the job and, and, and essentially to curse them out so that they would do their job well. And w when he came to know Jesus, he said, Matt, I don't know how to do my job anymore. <laughs> Because the anger and the words and, and the intimidation was gone. 
By the way, he does a much better job now. He has a much better connection. But there are physical happenings when you get angry. The limbic system in your brain lights up the MRI scan with anger's distinctive neuroelectrical pattern. And our word anger comes from the word anguish. And so there is something happening where you are so mad, you are literally bent out of shape on the inside. Anger affects our emotions. You feel hot. Sometimes your face literally gets red. It, it, It affects your thoughts so that your thoughts are thinking rapidly about the situation and, 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 and firing in every direction. And it affects our actions. There is, like we talked about, that adrenaline, that fight or flight that, that takes hold of us and drives us to action. And there are many warnings in the, in the Word that tell us that unbridled anger is foolish. Proverbs 14, 17, a man of quick temper acts foolishly. Um, Proverbs 14, 29, whoever is slow to anger has understanding, but he who has a hasty temper exalts folly. So essentially what anger does is it, it has you chuck wisdom aside if it's unbridled, if it's not bridled by the wisdom of the Holy Spirit. You chuck wisdom aside. And then it brings disorder, as James says. Disorder and every vile practice. Proverbs 25, 28 says, A man without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. The, The crazy and stupid things that we do when we're angry. The things that we say that tear down the walls of our relationships. And even a couple of walls or windows here and there can get broken through. I, I remember early on in marriage, I was so mad. And I often can't remember what I was mad about because they're usually very small things. They're usually just irritations. But it builds and builds. And as, as a young man, we were traveling from church to church. In two years, we went to about 250 churches. We'd be at a church in Sunday morning, another one Sunday night, another one Wednesday night. And so we were constantly traveling, and I remember I got so angry that I hit the wall, and there was a two-by-four there. And so I remember preaching that week, and every time I would do a gesture, oh, it hurt. It hurt my hand. God was humbling me and drawing attention to not my finger, but to my heart and to an area of my life that he wanted to conform into the image of of Christ. Remember what we said that Christ has given us as a gift everything that we need for godliness. And we talked about those 14 areas of sanctification that God gives us the moment that we're born again from the book of 1 John. Well, that that includes God's power over my spirit. And God wants us to have self-control. But the heart of anger doesn't care about self-control. Sinful anger 
is murderous, isn't it? That's what James calls it. He says, you quarrel and you murder. And the one who doesn't love his brother, John says, is a murderer, right? Because anger is from murder family. That's where anger comes from. Uh, it, it, it says, I want to disregard everyone else as if they were dead. I just kill them. And sometimes we assassinate people in our thoughts and with our words by simply disregarding them in hot, sinful anger. And anger can look different for different people. Some people clam up and cold and icy and give the cold shoulder. I can remember on my honeymoon, um, I, I, I remember my wife crying. And we hadn't had any problems. In fact, we had had wonderful time day after day. And we were, we were enjoying life. And one day, my wife is just crying and she won't stop crying. And I'm like, why are you crying? And she's like, I miss home. Well, I was insulted. But had I been more mature, I would have realized, of course she misses home. She's having culture shock. She's never, she's never lived with me. And I, but I didn't have compassion. I just simply shut down. I didn't tell her, but I was icy cold. She knew it. And I'm like, if you're, if you're, you know, in my thoughts, I'm thinking this girl is way more immature than I could ever have imagined. And I was exalting in my, my um, self-righteousness, you know. And, and, and so I clammed up. And in my mind, I thought, if this girl doesn't stop, you know, you have crazy thoughts when you're angry. I'm just going to go to Mexico and never come back. You know. <laughs> yeah, that was going to happen. <laughs> God's in Mexico too. You know, and, and, and so sometimes it's icy cold, but it's, 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 you clam up. But sometimes you blow up. You're like a volcano. And a person, an angry person who blows up is like a person who vomits. They feel better after it's done, but there's a whole lot to clean up. And it really stinks. Right? And so, you know, if you're not angry, you have a problem. You should be angry for the things that God is angry about. And God is a wrathful God. We're going to look at that in just a moment. But if you're angry with sinful, unbridled human anger, you've got a problem as well. So to have no anger is a problem. To have anger that is unbridled is a problem. And I want us to consider how God is angry. Christ is the image of the invisible God. So if you want to know what the Father is like, look at Jesus. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And so when we look at Christ, when it came to his own reputation, when he was insulted, and reviled. He was like a sheep before her shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Isaiah 53. He, he never defended personal insults. He was meek and gentle. He was able to take it. 
And they nailed his hands and they nailed his feet to the cross. And remember what he prayed? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. But Christ was angry when it came to the worship of his father. And he came into that place of worship, the temple. And he was furious when it came to God's honor and glory being slandered and blasphemed. That's something to get angry about. And they had little children that were being kept from the Lord. And oh, he became angry and indignant. And he said, let the little children come to me, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. He said, if you put a stumbling block from one of these children from coming to me, you want to know how angry I would get? It'd be better for a millstone to be hanged about your neck and drowned in the depths of the sea than to forbid a child from coming to me, to hinder them, to cause them to fall and stumble in coming to me in any way. Christ was angry. And Christ is angry. Turn over to Revelation 6. Revelation 6. You know the... How many of you have read the book of Revelation? Have you preached through the book of Revelation in your church? Oh, got to do that. Um, the opening of the seals. You know, who's worthy to open the scroll? Jesus is, right? And he opens the scroll of redemption and judgment. Redemption and protection for the saints, but judgment for all the rest of the earth. And you have the first four seals are the four horsemen of the apocalypse that he basically said in different words in the Olivet Discourse would come upon the earth as signs of the times between his first and second advent. And he comes to the sixth seal. And in verse 12, um, we read, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, The moon became like blood and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as the fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that is being rolled up and every mountain and every island was removed from its place. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Christ is presently angry. The scripture says that in Psalm 7 that God is angry with the wicked every day. And I think of that song from your church called Hiding Place. Day of wrath, a certain and dreadful day, when earth and sky are burned away. The sun will dim, and with it the moon decay to greet his fierce return. Yet there's one voice can save the race. O Jesus, be my hiding place. Do you believe that? Paul tells us that we wait for God's Son, 1 Thessalonians 1.10. We wait for God's Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. 
Paul in another place speaks of the raft that is building up for the day of judgment. And there will come a day when that raft breaks forth. And the Lamb of God will deal with wrath and holy justice to the whole earth. Even now, those who have been martyred cry out to God, how long can this filthy earth, this violent earth which hates you, how long will you let this go on? And there's coming a day when the Lamb of God, who was so meek and lowly, when he came to this earth, says, enough. There is a place for wrath in our theology and in our Christian life. There is a place for rage. There is a place for anger. And it mirrors the character of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall stand is the question. Who shall stand when Christ gets angry? Who shall stand when God gets angry? Chapter 7 gives the answer in Revelation. You have the 144,000. He heard. It says he heard the 144,000 sealed. And it's a specific list from the tribes of Israel. Dan is not mentioned. Ephraim is not mentioned because these were idolatrous tribes. And so this is, is, is the remnant of Israel here. And they're all sealed. So he heard that, and it's obviously an apocalyptic number of completion, 12 on steroids, basically. You know, and then he, he looks at the multitude and he sees it's a multitude that cannot be numbered. It's not just 144,000. It's people from every tribe and tongue and, 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 and people and nation. We need to be covered from the wrath of the Lamb. And by the grace of God, we are. But don't be mistaken. Christ is angry. Paul says that God is angry. In Romans 2.5, because of your heart and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. Who's he talking to in Romans 2? Religious Jews. He's not talking to the Gentiles there. He's talking to the Jews. You know, you know the word. You don't know the God of the word. And you're storing up wrath. That's something we need to take very seriously. God is angry. Sweet Apostle John, who's laying on the breast of Jesus at the Last Supper is also a son of thunder. He, he likes to thunder the truth, doesn't he? And he says in John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Presently, right now, God is angry. And he says in Deuteronomy 2.41, I will take vengeance on my adversaries and I will repay those who hate me. And, and what can we say of Psalm 2? Kiss the Son, lest He be angry and you perish from the way when His wrath is kindled just for a moment. God is angry. And God's anger will soon be poured out. 
Revelation 14. He says, gather the clusters of the vine of the earth for her grapes are fully ripe. Speaking of people as clusters of grapes, cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And so God is good and angry. And so we can be good and angry as we are conformed into the image of Christ. Anger can be righteous if it is submitted to God. Back to Ephesians, verse 26 of chapter 4. Be angry and do not sin. What if you, what if you do sin? What if you don't, you, you let the sun set on your wrath? What happens? You give opportunity, verse 27, you give opportunity to who? To the devil, to Satan. So if you're angry with your wife, your children, your church, your, your work, whatever it is, and, and, and you let that control you, you're like, let me call up a counselor. Okay, 666. Yes, Satan, can you counsel me? Please, Lucifer, come over right now and, 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 and turn and burn my mind with, with thoughts of hatred and, and, and murderous thoughts. Because I didn't get my way in whatever it was. And, and we've, we've been through that where anger turns selfish. When it comes to our personal rights, we should not be angry. We should be willing to lay down our lives for our wives. We should love our enemies and lay down our lives for them. And this American society is anti-Christian. It is anti-Christ. It is satanic. And sometimes we merge our present culture with our Christianity to our own hurt. To say, I'm an American. I deserve my rights. No, as a Christian, you lay your rights down for Jesus. Just as our Lord laid his rights down. Because his food was to do the will of the Father in heaven. And so that means that righteous anger leaves vengeance to God. And that is a constant theme in the New Testament. We have to leave vengeance to God. What should you do with righteous anger? Well, the first thing you should do is pray. There are 150 psalms, and many of them are imprecatory. Do you pray the imprecatory psalms? Do you pray Psalm 5 and verse 10? Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels because of the abundance of their transgressions. Cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. And what you might say to baptize it in Christian, um, and I'm Baptist, but whether you sprinkle or immerse this thought in, in <laughs> Christian uh, truth, um, you might pray, Lord, you're, you're, you know you're elect. Don't allow this, this world to continue in the way that it is and come with fierce wrath and vengeance and, and vindicate yourself. Anger is something that can be a protection for you and your family. It's, it's like a, a weapon. And you need to use it in the right way. When I was a young person, I was introduced to guns 
Everybody, when they're 10, 11 years old in the bayou, man, you, you know, that, that older person who puts that 12 gauge right up against your puny little shoulder, boom, and you got a bruise on your shoulder now. Now you're a man, you know? Um, weapons are powerful, right? Anger can be a wonderful weapon to defend your wife and children, to defend against this ugly culture that is undermining the truth of God. And I think that your fellowship, your church has done a wonderful job at being good and angry in defending the truth of God. But if you turn that weapon because of your own personal hurts on others in the church, on your wife, or upon your children, or even, I've seen it even done in evangelism. Strangely enough. To where an immature Christian presents the gospel and gets angry because they take the rejection of Christ personally and begins to berate the person as to how unrighteous they are and, and tells them that they're headed to hell but almost gloats in it. The anger that we have can be twisted and it needs to be controlled by the Spirit. The Scripture says that we're not to be controlled by anything in this world, whether it be wine or anger or lust, but be filled, be controlled by the Holy Spirit. And so we are to submit our anger to God's control and trust in a godly outcome. Thomas Fuller, a Puritan, said that anger is the ligament of the soul. He said that as anger allows a person to be courageous and stretch to a place that they normally wouldn't be, you see? And so when we, when we lack courage as believers, as men, we need to get good and angry because it's a ligament of the soul that allows us to stretch. And we've seen Christ's anger. He was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. When it came to personal rejection, and when he was reviled, what does it say? He reviled not again. But when it came to the hardness of people's hearts, he was angry. When God's people were being taken advantage of in the temple by shucksters, he was angry. When it came to defending himself and he was arrested, Peter took out his sword and cut off the ear of Malchus, the high priest. And Jesus, even in his arrest, was a miracle worker and healed his ear. And remember what he said? My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, then would my servants fight. But now my kingdom is from another world. And so when he was rejected, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. He was angry for the glory of God and for the protection of the vulnerable. That's what we should be angry about. 
get good and angry about that. How about John the Baptist? He wouldn't have gotten along with Joel Osteen. Oh, generation of vipers, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth, therefore, fruits that are required for repentance. What about Paul confronting Peter? In Galatians, Paul came to Antioch with Peter, and he opposed Peter to his face, and he stood Peter stood condemned because he was being racist. He was exalting his Jewishness above the Gentiles after he had had a vision. This is comforting to me. I don't know about you. This is very comforting to me. Here is a man who has had visions from God, who has walked with the incarnate Christ. Who had, he was the one who preached at Pentecost. You know, and yet racism comes into his heart and controls him, and he needs a rebuke from his brother because of his hypocrisy. And it says he, he withstood him to his face. He opposed him to his face. Paul was good and angry. We need to do that. We need, anger gives us the courage to have discipline and reconciliation in the church so that things are not just stuffed under the rug. We need to bring those things out and, and have a holy anger for the purity of ourselves and for our brothers and sisters and for the church. In marriage, there are many things that need to be confronted urgently. And so I, I look at Paul in Ephesians 4, turn there, and he talks about relationships and anger in chapter 4, almost as a primer to get into chapter 5, and he gets into household relationships and marriage. And he says, be angry and do not sin, verse 26 of Ephesians 4, and do not let the sun go down on your anger. So I want to give you a few ideas about how to dethrone sinful anger and use it for the glory of God. Number one, don't curse your anger. And we're going to talk about don't curse your anger, don't nurse your anger, don't rehearse your anger, don't converse about your anger, don't disperse your anger, do reverse your anger if it's sinful. Okay, so we're going to play, some, play on some words here. But he says be angry, so don't curse your anger, it's okay to be angry. Be angry but don't let it be a selfish kind of anger. That's the idea of sinful anger. It's being peeved about my own hurts. It's being peeved about insults or perceived or real insults. Put those away. But you know, you know I have to do Matthew 18 with my wife. So, you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm offended. So I have to go to her. You are abusing Matthew 18. 99% of the offenses in marriage, in the church, and at the workplace need to be covered with love. It's a person who's growing and changing if they're, if they're a Christian, you know. And you're growing and changing, aren't you? And yes, there's some things you need to confront, but you need to speak the truth in love and in humility. Often what I do when I confront sin 
in my wife, in my children, uh, in church members, is I will begin by confessing my own sin. Because there's plenty of it. And I will say, I have, I've had this problem and, and it's sinful. And th- this is something that we need to change. And you have to be very careful, especially with your wife. Very careful, very gentle. We're called to be gentle, but bold. Um, and so don't curse your anger. It's given to you from God to use to protect your relationship with God, with your spouse. Because if there's something putting a distance between your, your spouse and yourself, you are vulnerable to the world's attack. You are vulnerable to Satan's attack. So let a- anger encourage you. Let it give you courage to, to address problems in your marriage, in your life, in your church. So don't curse your anger, but don't nurse your anger. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Use your anger to solve problems biblically. Put away injuries and hurts. Put those away. And certainly do not talk about them when you're in the heat of the moment. If you've been personally offended, you you need to calm down and let the Spirit of God control the anger, even if it is a righteous anger. It needs to be controlled by the Spirit. Hebrews says, see to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble. Doesn't bitterness cause trouble in your life? It makes a mess. Don't blow up. Don't clam up. Bridle your anger and funnel it to be courageous in solving problems biblically. Don't rehearse your anger. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Why is Satan called Satan? Because he's the accuser of the brethren. He's the accuser. That's what his name means. And so, if you nurse your anger then you're going to be thinking all kinds of horrible things about that situation. And you're inviting Satan. You're being invited into Satan's master's class, right? And he'll teach you how to accuse God's children or your boss at work or anybody on God's green earth because Satan is a master at manipulating our thoughts to destroy others. So don't rehearse your anger. Realize that we cannot, when we give way to sin in our lives, we are giving way to the devil. We are giving a place to the devil. And we are in spiritual warfare. I could take you back to, to um, Revelation where there's, you know, there's basically seven recapitulations of the second coming in the book of Revelation. And one of those recapitulations is from a demonic perspective, where you have the bottomless pit and you have a polyon coming out of the bottomless pit and out, and out comes billions and billions of demonic locusts. And he uses locusts for a reason. And he says they torture men for five months because that's how long a locust harvest is. And you know 
that there are seasons of satanic attack. So when all of these satanic thoughts are coming through your mind, you've got to cut it off and you've got to bring it to Christ. But back to Revelation, the locusts would come and we now have, you know, pesticides and different ways of controlling insects. You know, cicadas, locusts, we, we know about them, but they're never in force as they were in the ancient world when they could take out, you know, whole cities of, of harvests, of, of, of farming and, and destroy it. And where the, the sky becomes black as midnight because of billions and billions of locusts. The kind of war that we are in on this planet is that this world is as black as midnight caked with demons, billions and billions of demons all around us, and they want to destroy you. Of course, thankfully in the book of Revelation, there are always interludes where God is constantly saying, like in chapter 7 and others, these are my children. They are sealed. And that means I own them, and I will protect them, and I will care for them. And obviously there's so many allusions to the people of God in Egypt where they're protected. And you can be protected from this demonic horde, but not if you give way to your anger. If you give way to your anger, you are inviting Satan and his hordes to destroy you and to destroy your marriage and to make your children fatherless if you leave. And I've seen it. I've seen it at the highest levels. I've seen pastors... My, my wife's pastor divorced his wife after so many years. And now he's with another woman and I don't understand it. But if I give way to anger, it will destroy me eventually. Satan and his hordes are waiting to take me captive. Don't rehearse your anger. Don't converse about your anger. Verses 29 and 30. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed for the day of redemption. Proverbs 15.1 says, A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh, words, a harsh word stirs up anger. I, I, I really have grown to love godly anger. Because it, it helps me to persevere. When I see an ugly, horrible situation, and I've had people come into my office, and when we close the door, I have seen men use methods of filibustering, where they do not let their wives talk. And they go on and on. And the wife's about to talk. Oh, no, nope, filibustering. Got to go for 30 hours here because I'm going to filibuster, you know, or, or, or name calling. You know, you're a liar. When, when their perceiving reality is not as their reality, then they just slander and slander. And sometimes I just want to walk out of there and just say, see you later. <laughs> Give them up to their own uh, destruction. But no, I am jealous for their souls. I want them to be godly and holy. And God has, has touched them and they are born again and they need instruction. And so I patiently listen 
I listen to them. That's hard. I listen. What, so what's the rub here? Let me, you Mr. Filibuster, filibuster what is the rub? What is, oh, you want your way. And you're willing to talk long and loud until your wife just gives up. So let's recognize that as a tactic of hell, a scheme of the devil. That gives me that anger that I have. I'm, I'm jealous. I'm zealous. I'm angry to see this couple. And, I, and, and we have to teach them and teach ourselves that just talking about the problem and being angry about the problem and getting stirred up, personally hurt and affected and injured, the Bible forbids that. We got to put that off. So I'm insulted. So I've been slandered. So I've been shouted at. One time my wife threw a hot dog at me. You know, so what? Um, that was an interesting day. It was, it was after a, a, a hard pregnancy, but still. Um, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. When you're angry, you can still have words that are seasoned with grace. When you're angry, be disciplined in your mind and funnel your words and your anger so that it will actually edify and get to the heart of the person. And then don't disperse your anger. Verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Bitterness, rehearsing the hurt over and over and over again. Someone said that bitterness is like drinking poison, hoping the other person will die. Yeah, it doesn't work very well. It hurts you. It doesn't hurt them. And, 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 and wrath, rage, put that away. Anger that simmers, it's, it's cold. But then it blows up into clamor and shouting and then slander and name calling and these kind of underhanded insults. Along with all malice, a settled feeling of hatred and hostility. Proverbs 19.11 says, Good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook an offense. It is glorious when you are not personally injured. What we like to say in our elder team and in our family is you need to have thick skin and a big heart. So what? You've been insulted. It's going to happen a thousand and ten thousand more times. <laughs> you need to have thick skin. So what? They said if you don't do such and such, they'll leave the church. So what? So what? God is bigger than my church. God is bigger than my my, the insult that I just received, I'm on this earth for His glory, not mine. For His holiness, not my comfort. So don't disperse your anger. Do reverse sinful anger. How do you do that? Verse 32, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. You know the Lord's Prayer. You're to forgive those who trespass against you, right? As God has forgiven you. Because 
If you're unable to forgive, you are not a child of God. And so we are to live with three things. With tenderness, with forgiveness, and kindness. What does kindness mean? It means to lift a burden. It means to lift a burden for someone. And so if, if there's strife in your marriage, in your church, in a work relationship, and there's anger, you need to be the one to lift the burden. You need to get into the harness. He says, my yoke is easy. That's the same word as kind. Easy, kind. I'm going to lift the burden. Jesus lifted the burden for us, didn't he? You're to lift the burden and be a man and take the insult with love. He says, be kind, be tenderhearted, empathetic. This is the exact opposite of a sociopath or a psychopath who has no heart. Be like Christ. Christ has a heart for humanity. And you love people where they are. And you think the best of them. My wife will sometimes say, Matt, you think the best of everybody. Like no one can do wrong except for me. And it's true. It's harder to apply these things at home. And I'm learning to how, how to do that. But then he says, you need to be willing to forgive. And this is where the rub really comes. You can be angry and you can be righteous in your anger. But at the end of the day, in most of our conflicts, we need to set aside our rights and be willing to forgive and not hold a grudge. That's toxic. What is forgiveness? It's an accounting term. And when you pay off your mortgage, you stop receiving notices, right? So you, 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 when you, especially in marriage, forgiveness means that you don't bring up the offense and hold it against them. Now, sometimes you're dealing with different patterns and with a counselor or even on your own, you can sometimes in love bring it up forensically to look at a pattern, okay? So I'm not talking about legalism here. But I'm saying you cannot hold that offense against that person if you have forgiven them. So when, when I sin in my house, and I do sometimes, I will say, usually to my wife and my family, if it's, if it's a public sin, if it's a private sin, I'll just talk to my wife or whatever. But I will say, I don't say I'm sorry because I'm sorry when I kick a cat. You know, I, I didn't do it. I'm on purpose. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry doesn't cut it as far as taking responsibility for my sins. I say, I have sinned. First, I've sinned against you, but primarily, I have sinned against God. And will you forgive me? And then I wait, because she doesn't necessarily need to forgive me. She needs to, but she may not be ready. And I'm going to wait. And she has to make a decision not to bring this up again. And, and so, especially in marriage, you're building trust. And you can, you can grant forgiveness, but it doesn't mean that you necessarily grant trust. Sometimes trust takes a little while to build. So forgiveness and trust are different things, right? But if we're going to defeat sinful anger, we need to be kind and tender and forgiving. 
as God in Christ forgave us. Now let me leave you with this. I know a man who was raised to be very, very angry. His name is, well, we'll call him Dr. A since this is being recorded. He grew up in Mecca, Saudi Arabia. And his father is a grand mufti, like an archbishop among here in the West. And he was raised in the religion of hate to be angry all the time. And he's become one of my dearest friends. In fact, I'll be with him in one week. He'll be in my house. But this man memorized the entire Quran by the time he was 13. And the way that his father did it was a very destructive way. Every time he got a word wrong, they would beat his feet so he couldn't walk. And that happened about 20 times before he had memorized the Quran. And it's a common thing that is done across Islamic cultures. At any rate, by the time he was 19, he had decided he did not want to be a religious leader. His father was, and he had seen too much. He decided he wanted to be a doctor. And so he got on a a plane and he went to Auckland, New Zealand to learn English, which is very common. People from Saudi will often go there to learn English. And he's there for two months learning English. And one night after two months, he goes to sleep and he has a dream, a vision. Now, I'm, I'm not Pentecostal, but... This man had a vision, a dream. And the doors, he said it was as clear as anything in reality that he had ever experienced. The doors of his hotel room, which was a very luxurious hotel room because his, his, his family had money. The, 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 the French doors opened and, and the, the wind from the, from the lake where he was poured through the doors. And the most beautiful, glorious person came through there with a voice of majesty and said, come to me, you who are weary and burdened with your sin, and I will give you rest. He said, tomorrow, you're going to go to a building with white pillars. Listen to what the man says. And that was it. never heard of Jesus. They have a Jesus figure in the Quran named Isa, but he had never heard of Jesus and as he's presented in the, in the word. And so he thought that he had had a vision of a demon because he had been told from the time he was little that, that uh, when you're outside of a caliphate for more than three days that you will be attacked by Satan. And so he thought this, this is some kind of angel masquerading and so he went, to, he went to immediately to book a flight back to Saudi Arabia. He was scared out of his mind. And he got a plane ticket. The, the soonest the plane ticket could get him to his destination was four days. So he had some time. And he went to class that day. And the assignment was to stand up in, in English. Of course, he speaks pure Arabic. But in English 
tell about your weekend. Somebody got up. They said, I went to the beach. It was awesome. Another guy, I went to the bar. I got drunk. It was awesome. He gets up. What? Tells his story. The teacher cancels class. Says, I need to talk to you. You have seen Jesus Christ. Jesus? I've not known this name. Is that another name for Satan? No, Jesus, good, holy Jesus. Jesus, is, is, this, is this Satan? Because I saw Satan. I'm sure I saw Satan. Well, um, I, want, I want someone who knows the religion of Islam, I want you to talk to him. He's the pastor. He didn't tell this to him, but he's the pastor of uh, a church that was planted by, Tom, by Charles Spurgeon's son, Thomas. It's called the, the Baptist Tabernacle. And it's a building with white pillars, very distinctive and unusual in New Zealand, Greek structure. And he goes there that day. And the first day, they speak only from the Quran. And Isa is presented. And he tells him, Jesus is Isa. And he begins to explain to him from the Quran, and there's a passage in the Quran that speaks about um, how God gave his word, spoke his word to Mary, and his word became human, you know. And that's the passage that he used. And they talked about these things for two days. And on the third day, was presented with John 1, verses 1 through 3. Well, really the whole first chapter, but they started with the first three verses and explained how Jesus is the Son of God. And in those moments, God granted Dr. A faith. Now listen, this was a man who was raised to be very angry all the time. He went home with only a New Testament. That was illegal. He was so surprised that he got it through customs and he had a New Testament in Saudi Arabia. There are no churches in Saudi Arabia. And he came in with that New Testament and he began to read it and he had never read anything like it. He had, he had the Quran memorized, but he had never read such words of life. And as he began to read those words, the anger that he had dissipated. And one day, his the cleaning lady found this little New Testament with the words in Arabic, the book of life. He had left it out. He had forgotten to hide it under his mattress. And his brothers came in and threw him into a locked, basically a, a secure tent that you couldn't get out of. And he, they did not tell him why, but later on his father came in with an AK-47 and put it to his head and said, under Sharia law, I can blow you away. And that is absolutely true. I can blow you away. Take this and throw it into the fire. And he had to take the New Testament and throw it into the fire. And he said, you know, he's, he, with that gun to his head, he said, are you a Muslim? Well, Muslim just means faithful to God. So he wasn't necessarily asking him to deny Christ. He said, I am faithful to God. 
but he could see that his son had already been won over. And so that was the last day that he ever saw his family. He was disowned. He went on to medical school. He um, did some serious research into lupus and a cure for lupus. And in fact, he has a standing invitation to uh, go into a PhD program um, in Auckland, New Zealand. But, but he has been on the run in Saudi Arabia. And he's been shot at. He's been imprisoned for three months. With his, he has no teeth in the front. He has false teeth. He's only 29 years old. And yet he's the most peaceful, meek person that you'll ever met, meet, meet. And I hope that as he, he's coming out with a book soon that you'll see in the Christian marketplace um, called From Mecca to Christ. And you will see in detail all the things that he's done and all these things I have verified with many, many people in, in uh, Saudi Arabia as well as Dubai. And I've talked and, and verified all of these details. But having said that, do you see that God can change a person no matter where they're at, no matter what they've been through? They can he can take an angry person like Dr. A., and make him into the most meek, humble, gentle person. And yet this man has a great and good anger for the Lord. Um, he, he has gone to Mecca and prayed in the name of Jesus. And you can watch the video online. He could be put to death for this. But he disguised his voice. Um, but at, at any rate, he has a holy zeal. That stretches him to do things that he's not comfortable to do. And God has given that same spirit that Dr. A has to all of us. If he can do it for someone so far out and transform him, he can transform any one of us. Do you believe that? Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, that we can use godly anger for your kingdom, your glory. Help us, Lord, as we walk in the power of the new life, regeneration, this new principle of life, the Spirit transformed our hearts, and now we are new creatures. Help us, Lord, to walk in that power, and there's no area of our life that ought to be untouched. We surrender to you in Jesus' name. Amen.